44. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Consensus Unreality. Uh, you're joining us for our 43rd episode of the main cast. Yeah. Uh, we'll be talking a bunch of different things tonight, um, and we're glad to have you listening along. Um, and if you join us for our Patreon account, which is only five bucks a month, which I spend on coffee stupidly almost daily but um i buy coffee too yeah you know i like coffee who doesn't <laughs> i mean some people don't but uh <laughs> patreon, yeah. patreon.com slash consensus unreality uh we'll have a whole second half of this episode exclusively there where we'll be talking um some personal experiences as well as um some location-based experiences uh do uh <laughs> can't talk all about right that. yeah right yeah. <laughs> some location-based experiences that um are relevant to the topics that we're speaking about tonight specifically some ufological and occult locations on the west coast um yeah yeah we know that you took a trip to california right oh boy so listen <laughs> uh join us there um if you are looking for some extra stuff um some experimental stuff and tons of exclusive episodes we make sure to put on there so patreon.com slash consensus on reality that is our little advertisement and let's get into it yeah babylon. all right we're, what are we we're talking babylon we're talking the famed uh working of jack parsons and l ron hubbard based on the Thelemic um, writings and works of Aleister Crowley. We are talking speculation on the uh, tangential tantrum of. Not the- just talking about that, though, right? I mean, no, certainly we're, we're going to bring in some some other stuff because I feel like this is one of those uh, pull on the thread type situations, and then you're you're off to you know talking about ufos they're talking about uh i don't know like <laughs> everything yeah no absolutely <laughs> i mean um this is one of those crazy ones where it's not just a magical working although uh in terms of the metafiction angle that is a huge part of it uh when you look at the works of somebody like kenneth grant who kind of creates a whole um para history out of this stuff um but then you know jack parsons um has very real ramifications to our country and to our race humans um in terms of space travel jet sure, propulsion. yeah it's kind of funny that yeah we decided to do this uh parsons sort of mid-20th century occult weirdo episode and then he became a pretty... I just feel like he's been popping up everywhere over the last few weeks. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that that's kind of like the thread of this pod is uh, it, it, our discussions kind of link into a network of other podcasts. Um, yeah. 
unintentionally a lot of the time and sometimes intentionally as well. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, should we assume a sort of working knowledge of Jack Parsons, the man with our audience? He was uh, a sort of un, unformally educated uh, rocket scientist who could be argued as like the father of the American space program. If we're not, you know, if Nazis are not eligible, then maybe Jack is the father of, of NASA, et cetera. But, you know, just through his, uh, he founded JPL, um, or JPL sort of grew out of his work at Caltech. Um, yeah. And yeah, hugely influential in uh, space travel, physics, rocketry, um, and also a, a disciple of the Thelemic current of Aleister Crowley. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's such an amazing figure and I think we should get into his background a little bit. Um, recently, I think there was a, well, there was a television show made of strange his, angel, strange angel, which I did not watch. Um, I watched I, some of it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it got canceled probably like maybe because of L Ron Hubbard's legacy in it. Right. Like, I think the Scientologists came after it. Yeah. The power of them. And I mean, I have like an yeah. interesting, Scientology experience. Here's a little teaser of the uh, Patreon episode. But yeah, uh, a couple nights ago, I had an interesting experience in California um, and the Church of Scientology. But um, yeah, Parsons is really incredible. Uh, somebody who wasn't formally trained or um, educated, but kind of like is is essentially the father of um, space travel and NASA, um, Caltech, certainly, uh, he's one of the founders of Caltech. Um, and he was the founder of jet propulsion laboratories. Um, he basically figured out, uh, that adding asphalt to jet fuel would create a fuel strong enough to, um, propel rockets, um, beyond the atmosphere into space, potentially to the moon and whatnot. Um, so it's, it's, yeah. it's really interesting. And, and I mean, like, uh, you know, we're not afraid to talk about other podcasts on this episode. I mean, we certainly listen to a bunch and talk about them. And, uh, while I was out in California, actually, I was listening to the new, um, Penny Royal episode, which we're big fans of. And, uh, yeah, of course it was about Jack Parsons and, uh, his influence. Um, and one of the things that, really stuck out to me was um marco visconti uh who's in a bit of magical drama right now um uh-huh. with gordon white and maybe we'll talk about that on the patreon too but uh yeah he said that jack parsons is undoubtedly the most um influential and important thelemite who ever lived um which on on its surface sounds like a bold statement you know considering yeah. the scope and legacy of Aleister Crowley, the most sinister person that ever lived, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you know, right. what, what Visconti points out in that episode is that Jack Parsons is responsible for getting humanity into space. And, um, right. I, that's going to be something that we talk about a lot on this episode. Uh, is the, is the relationship, I think, or at least maybe I'm, I'm kind of like interested in is the relationship between, um, magic uh that kind of like radical thinking um and you know uh technology and space travel or what 
Yeah, uh, or like um, man's destiny to ascend to the stars, the star child. That's um, right. That this sort of narrative of uh, Space Odyssey two thousand one, and and arguably yeah. maybe is our destiny. Um, if you can assume that our planet will one day be you know destroyed by an asteroid or consumed by our own sun. Um, yeah. Nah, that's not gonna happen. How could that happen? That's ridiculous. Well, why would it happen? <laughs> um, no. Yeah. I, I think that those things, I mean, obviously it's almost a cliche at this point that science and magic are like two branches on the same tree. And like, you know, one of them has been watered, I guess, a lot lately. And the other has been left to kind of shrivel, but they're really the same thing. They both, you know, the cliche of alchemy being earlier form of chemistry, which is not exactly true, but it's true enough that it is evocative, I guess. So I think that it's kind of interesting that they kind of reconverge in this figure of, of Jack Parsons um, and in L. Ron Hubbard as well, uh, who was integral to the Babylon working we're going to talk about and early, early Parsons, you know, uh, magical career. Yeah. I, and it's, it's interesting to kind of lead into this by considering how complex all of these characters are and how complex their bodies of work are or even their you know their lives um because even somebody like yeah. l ron hubbard people um you know think of him as kind of this like uh heist artist which obviously he is um yeah and this sort of like social engineering crook uh who was a cult right. leader but at the same time um you know, a lot of people give a lot of credence to Dianetics and, and what that is and trying to create like a new science of mind. Um, right. I mean, it's like pop psychology kind of, except he added this sort of magical element to it. Yeah. So Scientology is so interesting in that way because, I mean, people have talked about this before, um, but like the way it borrows so heavily from like more uh esoteric occult traditions um and sort of uh coats it in this like chrome layer of like yeah space age psychology um and and process yeah. you know with the yeah um what are the i know it's the thetan readings but what is that process called i'm for, i'm forgetting now um where they're oh. riding the cans and they have those sort of like interrog interrogation um yeah sessions. yeah, yeah. Damn, that slipped my mind too. It's but then you know you're you're clear. clear. You're a clear. clear. Yeah. Yeah. But what is that called? If yeah. Well, whatever. Let's not belabor it. Um, yeah. Somebody somebody's listening and screaming at us, but that's fine. Yeah. It's like it's like something like super like uh, managerial class sounding. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, wait. Yeah. I was on. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, Maybe it'll come to us. Um, but yeah. So. Uh, back to Parsons a little bit. Um, so yeah, he, he's, he's pretty experimental. And even at Caltech, it was kind of him and a few other fellows, uh, going out into the Mojave desert and sort of suicide just... squad. Yeah, right. right exactly. Um, so that's a weird, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, and they were just experimenting with like different, uh, methods to creating fuel and blowing stuff up essentially, which is something that Parsons uh, happened to have done all of his life. Yeah. Right up until the end. Um, 
And yeah, that's how Caltech gets started. Jet Propulsion's laboratories. Um, at the same time, he's very, very interested in Thelema. Uh, he's kind of considered to be a magical protege of Aleister Crowley, the great beast. Um, right. And he's, I mean, and I guess he's kind of in this milieu of like the bohemian, like California, like weirdo scene and has this mansion that he inherits. Um, the parsonage. And they all kind of, yeah, they all kind of live there and do their thing, which involves Thelemic rituals, which obviously freak out like, you know, the millionaire uh, neighbors and stuff. But, tons and tons of sex magic and I'm sure yeah. like casual orgy and stuff like that. He had like a, like a sort of regular wife who he kind of like left for, I believe her sister or something who was like underage at the time. And then later on, um, Elron st steals that sister from Jack and it becomes like this whole melodrama, but then I guess they must make up because eventually they, they go into the desert to do this, this working to summon a new, you know, a new woman for Jack. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's really interesting. Um, I'm her name is slipping right now. It's I know her last name is Northrup. I'm forgetting her first name. Well, there's Betty and Helen, maybe. Uh, hang on one sec. Yeah, and that's a. Are they related to like the Northrup of like? I think so. We weapons? Yeah. Because that's yeah. crazy. Because I was, I kind of figured that can't be because no one ever mentions it. Right. Like as a direct, but it's like, it's kind of a strange name. So I wonder. Right. Yeah. Sarah Northrup. Um, so Sarah, she's married to Jack Parsons and then in comes L. Ron Hubbard to the Parsonage. And it should be said that this isn't, we're talking a lot about the Babylon working and maybe the antichrist workings of Jack Parsons, but there there's like a plethora of, of workings that he was performing and he was yeah. a pretty um, prolific magician. And, you know, I know like if people know a little bit of the history of the Babylon working, maybe not, we're going to get into some of the takes uh, and interpretations of it through different yeah. fields. Um, but a lot of people consider Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard to have fucked up essentially in the desert and opened a portal or a yeah. sort of like, you know, interdimensional portal or something, or, or they let in the demons. If you're an evangelical, the many yeah. interpretations, um, that's interesting. Cause I, the more I like learn about like the actual working itself, the less that holds up for me, the, possibility of that having like opened a portal like that at least that particular working you know it seems more likely that it was the something else that did that like the, but it, the atomic yeah. bomb as, as sort right of in, the, or, in the twin peaks thing yeah but uh, yeah i don't because the babylon working itself is obviously like a pretty interesting magical ritual but it doesn't feel like the kind of ritual that's necessarily going to like open a portal to another dimension it seems more like a you know pushing for a certain kind of will and but then of course he gets this sort of he channels at some point this later like um fourth book of the book of the law right right libra 49 um yeah yeah so 
so it's they have a sort of like rocky start. Um, L. Ron Hubbard kind of shows up to the parsonage as this mystery character. Uh, he w- he served in naval intelligence, I believe, uh, and he had all these crazy like piloting stories and stuff. Um, right. Who knows how much of that is true? Probably not much. But yeah, he's he's like a total confidence man. Like absolutely, yeah. Like one yeah. of the all-time grifters. Again, with the whole you know Castaneda like you know creating uh, a character effect uh l ron hubbard was clearly very talented uh in that realm uh but he shows up and everybody's is is immediately enthralled by this guy and his stories um and he sort of takes away some of the heat from um jack parsons and and you know goes away with his wife but actually at the same time like uh through doing some research parsons is like kind of wrecked emotionally from this but he's, he's like fighting to overcome it and he's he says that l ron hubbard is one of the most like naturally talented like thelemic right. magicians he's ever encountered in his life and he continues to work with him um as did uh john d and edward kelly um uh who are you know famous for uh the enochian magic um and creating the enochian magic uh L. Ron Hubbard served basically as uh, Jack Parsons' scribe during a bit of these right. rituals. It kind of strangely disappears during the Babylon working when uh, Parsons channels uh, Libra 49, which is its own, you know, strange shadowy thing about L. Ron Hubbard that, you know, maybe or maybe not. He had some intelligence connections. Uh, I think he claimed that he was essentially yeah. sent to infiltrate uh, magical circles in California, cult circles rather. It, yeah, it would be interesting if if Scientology were like the product of a sort of like psychological operative because it's been wildly effective. Certainly, yeah. I yeah. mean, it really dug its heels in, and now kind of serves as a sort of uh, like real estate cult or something. Um, or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they um, certainly have a lot yeah. of influence in, in film and media. Um, right. Yeah, I've been listening to the audio book, which recently came out of uh, Strange Angel, the book upon which that series was based. And it's kind of like, it start, the book starts with describing the death of Jack Parsons. Um, and that's it's so interesting how he it's a little bit more mysterious than like he was a kooky, like mad scientist who accidentally blew himself up. He was like this very meticulous scientist who wouldn't have, but like everyone was who knew him as a scientist thought he would not leave this like extremely volatile kind of mercury in a coffee tin the way that he died, you know? Yeah. And he yeah. also like survived for hours after he died or after he blew up like his arm was gone and half of his face was gone and he was like still alive. Like it was a much more gruesome situation than I feel like uh, the, the sort of lore has it. Right. Right. And I mean, uh, you know, a big part of the lore is obviously that the FBI seized all of the files from right. his house, which is something we hear in the tales of uh, Willem Reich and Nik- Nikola Tesla. Um, yeah. These disappearing <laughs> archives. Uh, maybe it's true. Um, I I have experienced it myself, not my own archives, but in searching for certain uh, writers' archives, they tend to evaporate 
<laughs> if they're looking into this kind of thing, I mean. Um, right. Yeah. It's clear he was yousted from JPL uh, before this sort of like NASA gets firmly created. Right. Um, there was an occult clearing that happened in JPL where they kind of got rid of the kookier people yeah. to, to clean it up a little bit. Um, so, I mean, he... He definitely had files like with with the alphabet agencies. They were definitely aware that he was kind of a oh, loose yeah. cannon, um, or at least they considered him to be one. Um, I mean, he had like clearance with some of those groups for a while too. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure. We have to be careful about saying who, because for a while he was not the CIA didn't exist. Right. Well, Parsons was most active, so it was, it was more more the, likely the FBI, the bureau. Yeah. 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 But Hoover probably had a, a yeah. like a huge case on him, you know. Yeah, it's so it was kind of in that weird time when like the intelligence agencies were still relatively young, and yeah, yeah, you wonder what is in those archives of his that disappeared. Yeah, a weird time in a different way too, as you mentioned before, um, how sort of the emphasis on technology and space technology is, is so mm. huge right now, obviously with SpaceX and all these um, private uh, companies right. going into orbit and stuff. Um, Elon Musk is no Jack Parsons though. <laughs> it, I mean, it's interesting to think what would, if Jack Parsons existed now and he was on social, this is kind of a sidebar. I don't want to like go down this rabbit yeah. hole, but if the guy was on social media and stuff, like would people think he was just some fucking arrogant jackass? Possibly, you know, maybe, but at least he like had style. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. I just think Elon Musk looks like a, uh, well, I don't want to get killed by the richest man on earth. So I think he looks great. Yeah. No, I'm not exactly like defending Musk or anything, no. but at the no, same I, time, I, know what you mean. I think a, a little bit of that is at least uh, historical, nostalgic um, favoritism and whatnot. That's true. But I, I don't like, I can't see, I mean, I'm sure the rich people today are into some weird magic stuff, but it feels like it's definitely like, not as exciting as like the sex magic of Thelema and is more like probably watered down, like chaos magic bullshit. Yeah. I, but it's, it's interesting. Uh, all the CCRU stuff that we've been talking about, maybe on the Patreon and stuff. I think that stuff is like very, very influential in Silicon Valley um, with Nick land and whatnot. And, probably and that yeah. stuff has a direct lineage to crowley they were living in his house and they and and he was right. like <laughs> performing all of these uh thelemic rituals and and referencing the texts and 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 the cthulhu mythos yeah. of um lovecraft and sort of twisted through kenneth grant's writings and whatnot so there's yeah there's still a strange connection to all this stuff you that's know? true with ccru stuff though i always feel like there's kind of like a slight ironic remove though like i don't like truly think that like nick land went insane and like wrote these crazy person like i think that there's always kind of like a i don't think he was really like doing magic i mean obviously this is like a nitpicking point but like it feels like there's like a the kind of like playing dress up that academics sometimes do uh 
I don't know. I think he had a, a big stint with amphetamines and like was, yeah, was, uh, was, was using magical languages um, not unlike to me the way that uh, Robert Anton Wilson talks about Crowley's mm. use of magical languages and, and the metafiction of, of James Joyce in Finnegan's Wake. Yeah. I think that they were kind of engaging it in similar ways. And I, and I think that's fair. Yeah. Whether or not they were actually conjuring a, a visible deity, I think that at the CCRU, right. they were using magical languages to their intended use to like reprogram and, and rechange society. And that's what this is real. That's what the Babylon working is really all about is, is ushering in the eight, the Aeon of Horus, right? It's the fourth book of the book of the law by alistair crow it was the age after oh no yeah all those aeon things that's, are so that's confusing. Cod. That, that yeah would what did he Cod. do the, the aeon of of mott is he is he mott mm-hmm. is he mottie um yeah no i i see what you mean about the ccru stuff which yeah if, if you guys listening haven't gone into the whole nick land thing yet yeah you can, you can skip it well, no, it's, it's you, cool, could, though. you could sign up to our Patreon account and listen to us talk about it a little bit. Um, That's true. We talked we talked about it last time. No, I, but I think you're probably right. But I still, it feels like um, more like a philosophical project than like a truly like uh, magical one. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, I so here's the thing. Okay, like a, such a big part of this story um, with the Babylon working is lore. And like uh, a new sort of mythology, I gotta stop saying sort of. I'm gonna kill myself, but yeah, like creating creating like a new active uh, mythology, which you know Grant, as we talk about endlessly, because he's so good at it, like enriches this uh, this new mythology as if it's all occurred. But he's clearly you know speaking about a lot of this stuff symbolically. Yeah, um, and I think that that you know I. As as a, as a relatively speculative person, um, I think that that's a large part of this story too. Is is you know, it's it's manifesting and it has, you know, magical workings have effects uh, that may not be intended or may be intended, and they happen mm. over long expanses of time. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of the magic that comes from Aleister Crowley and his and the way it branches off uh, into Parsons and Kenneth Grant is is creating these paradigm shifts um and it's all very political it's all very philosophical um and i don't think it was actually to just you know for the intention of of channeling something in front of them i think that was um that was the real intention was to 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 shift the paradigm of society you know that's what uh libra 49 is really all about in this sort of libertarian but also you know free will uh, philosophical movement and arguably the book of the law as well um yeah and i think that's where sort of you know that okay so the the whole para history of the babylon working is that they go out in the, to the desert to usher in the goddess um babylon and to conjure a scarlet woman um which maybe they they did because marjorie cameron kind of shows up on the door of the parsonage not long after being a right. uh, bright redheaded woman who was, um, you know, a very talented witch and magician in her own right, had some very interesting writings and, and works of art. Um, 
and and a, and a great influence on you know 20th century magical history um but you know I think a large part of the point of it was kind of the return of this idea of the sacred feminine, um, which is something that goes all the way back to actual uh, religions of the Akkadians, of Babylon, of Mesopotamia. And a really crazy effect of all this is interestingly, this working um, happens in 46, 45 to 46 in the winter. 46, yeah. And right around that time is the reemergence of both the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Nag Hammadi Library. Huge, um, huge wealth of uh, Gnostic literature that had been buried and lost for about two, yeah. two millennia, all concentrating essentially on this concept of the Sophia, the sacred feminine that is so prominent in Gnostic literature. Um, I would not all concentrating, but a large part of it. And that's just a really crazy connection. Like that's, that's kind of like the part that isn't really emphasized as much as they opened a portal. And then you have the Kenneth Arnold UFO sightings, the first flying saucer sightings. And then a year later, also in the desert, you have Roswell. Um, This is the direct connection that a lot of ufologically minded people make. Um, But that, that whole idea of the return of the sacred feminine and these highly influential texts that go on to influence so much of our media. And I think like our ideas about religion, ancient religions, even Christian, you know, Christianity, the, the Abrahamic religions. um, It's fascinating. Right. No. Yeah. I think that's a good, like, perhaps not as well-known, yeah, aspect to think about as, you know, possible results of this conjuration of the Scarlet Woman, um, which, yeah, obviously personifies as the, his future wife, sort of magical partner, uh, Marjorie Cameron, but yeah, you, you come out with this, like, I mean, I wonder about the Sophia thing, uh, or is it like the, Wis- like wisdom is because when you look at the Libra 49 it's it, it's like uh, it doesn't feel very Sophia the, the way this Babylon being is talking and yet yeah, that was, I mean it's yeah it's really interesting I don't know I mean like one text that sticks out to me from the Nakamadi the, probably the most famous, uh, the Thunder Perfect Mind, yeah. is this pronunciation from the sacred feminine um, of these contradictory statements. Um, right. I have I have no house and I have houses, etc. Uh, yeah. But it's it's very poetic, but it also it, it is very pronounced and and very bold in a sort of like self affirming way. Um, and also, you know, like again, this working being so much about a paradigm shift in society in, in the new world in quotes. Um, I think that also encapsulates moving away from the Judeo Christian paradigm that had inhabited this country up until that point. Um, mm-hmm. And then sort of the introduction of free love of Wilhelm Reich and, you know, the, the beatnik movement, which would become, you know, the sixties. Um, right. And that, that's an interesting philosophical thing, too. Um, not to go on too much of a tangent, but uh, this I kind of gathered from listening to Gordon White talk a bit about 
the Babylon working. Uh, and it's interesting. I'm going to mention Visconti and Gordon White in this yeah. episode, but he, he had some very, very um, interesting things to say about that. And it's essentially that, you know, we're kind of, man is kind of in this place right now where we are living in uh, Nietzsche's God is dead. Right. And like, we're kind of just lost in, in desolation here without any sort of answer to what we're doing here. But, mm-hmm. you know, especially at the a tail end of arguably of a Judeo Christian paradigm, which in, inhabited millennia. Um, but now, you know, mankind, humankind is like lost and our, next logical step is to reach to the stars right is to is to Mm. kind of like circle back around to the panspermia which may or may not have got us here in the first place is to now become the sperm become like the project (laughs) become like the thing that that projects into space and and goes to other worlds i mean that's just like a really interesting part of this story too Right, it does feel like a whole, like, I mean, the image of the rocket leaving the Earth or the asteroid with life sort of on it hitting the Earth. Like, it all feels very um, embryonic and, like, cellular and sort of, like, uh, yeah, like the splitting and, like, the sort of growing of cells, but, you know, it all feels like if you looked at it from far away, it would sort of look like the beginnings of a larger life form. And I guess that's kind of the whole um, new sphere slash Gaia theory, right? Mm, that, like, right. the Earth is headed towards this. And, you know, whether or not that's true, you know, whatever. But it is, it, yeah, and, and I think that ties back to the idea that it kind of took a, you know, a magician of some type to crack the issue of, you know, the fuel to get these phallic things off the, off the ground and into space. It's, I mean, yeah, it's like very, it is very poetic, I guess, that these things kind of twined together like that it's it's strange uh it's really strange it's strange angel and like (laughs) (laughs) like i this is sort of the genius of stanley kubrick too and his his ability to encapsulate this whole narrative into the film of a space odyssey 2001 yeah i think it can be read like exactly in that way you know for sure and that that kind of makes it a very occult film and in in tune with a lot of occult ideas of the 20th century yeah so i've been uh sort of slowly paging through and reading uh final events by nick redfern which is more or less about all of this but he adds this sort of uh conceit within within the book which is it's sort of like a almost like a memoir of his life looking into just the general idea that maybe UFOs are demons. And he starts asking around and he gets eventually put in touch with people who are part of this group, this secret group within the government called the Collins Elite, which as far as I've been able to find anywhere on the internet, originated with this book by Nick Redfern. So Mm. maybe they go by other names or something, but it's, yeah, the Collins Elite, which is a, fundamentalist Christian group with like deep within the deep state who 
are sort of fighting a covert war against these demonic beings that are disguising themselves as aliens. And I mean, yeah, and the cover art has this striking image of like a big red devil in front of a nuclear explosion and in in front of the devil is a little gray alien. So it's like, (laughs) it's kind of like about all of this. And I would be shocked if Mark Frost hadn't read this book um, when they were making the newest Twin Peaks season because the tying in of like the first detonation of the nuclear bomb into the Babylon working into the crash at Roswell and like all this stuff happening in 1947, L- the L- CIA, Jack Parsons, they're yeah. all mentioned in the, the secret history of twin peaks. Um, right. Which is, that's crazy too. Um, like again, like as did Kubrick, I think that Lynch and Frost with the return kind of address this, um, magical para history of the 20th century as well. Uh, right. Ushering I mean, in or yeah. call, calling down with like our technology is alchemical magic. We're kind of like bringing down sure. deities or um, interdimensional beings or however you'd want to classify it. Um, it's so interesting that the the sort of entity that's summoned in that show is this sort of like fearsome like feminine force as well as Judy. It's like uh, it's not you know it doesn't appear to be particularly like feminine in any classic sense, but maybe that's not what like the divine feminine or whatever means. Uh, like femininity is described by like human culture. Maybe it's some deeper thing that would appear very terrible to us. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think obviously I can't speak highly enough about, about the magical metaphysics and philosophy of that show, but like, yeah it is it's really interesting and the more you get into this stuff like the more i think you realize frost's influence on the series too which maybe he doesn't get enough credit for um but it does see it does appear that a lot of the occult and ufological references within twin peaks you know as a whole are are coming a lot from him um at least as much as they are david lynch um and and kind of like Jumping back to the noosphere thing too, uh, I think McKenna said something really interesting about that. Essentially, where like if a banana wanted to get into space, right? Uh-huh. Like, what what's the best way for like you know the plant world as a whole to get into space? Is it to you know evolve a banana, or is it to you know create an ape, which you know? gains opposable thumbs and uh, intelligence and then can project yeah. into space for the greater good of the planet or, or life itself right. because it takes that plant life with it. I think that's really changes the way you think about like consciousness. And I mean, so much of this kind of goes back to an era in which, you know, people were manifesting like obsessed with manifesting um, the human spirit and the human will. Um, yeah. And, and that is considered to be like a sort of negative, have very negative connotations um, these days, you know, um, yeah. and, and are like dominance over nature and stuff. But if you, you know, can enter the reality tunnel to 
use the term of Robert Anton Wilson's to consider that maybe that is possibly like part of a, a greater scheme of life itself. Um, not just human life, but life itself. I mean, that's right. Puts you in an interesting space too. Something I've been thinking about lately in terms of like space travel and that, and the new sphere kind of topic is like, and I, I don't really necessarily stand behind this, but I mean, we have to consider human beings as like, um, physical entities to some extent. Right. And they're made up of like, you know, millions, maybe billions of other beings that sort of live on us and in us. And we're kind of like these micro ecosystems. And we, we think of ourselves, of course, as like a singular soul or a singular ego or personality. And that's probably also true, but these bodies have like all of these, like, I mean, you can think about like the mites that live on your skin even or whatever, but like the cells, like yeah, or all like, of these yeah. other beings will the, the, travel into space with us. Yeah. You know? the, the way that like proteins are broken down in the body, you know, or like the way that like, right. there's so many microscopic parts, like atoms, you know, within us, like work moving parts, you know, it's, it's fascinating to think about. Um, right. As, so, so I kind of like in terms of space travel, kind of like, has this sort of surreal kind of layer to it where like it's really more like a small bubble of the earth itself is escaping the earth's orbit than like right. an individual like it's like a small ecosystem is leaving it more or less and right right as opposed to like an individual who and like i said this is not necessarily like you know my super strict opinion on it, but it's like, it's a, it's an angle that I don't often think from, which is like the non, like the literal non-spiritual angle. Like there's no, if we completely remove the idea of like a spirit, it's still like this very strange physical phenomenon of like, yeah, I don't know, like almost like uh, envoys from planet earth, like out into the void. It's a strange, like, um, realization of all of our ancient religions as well, because so many of them are based on the star gods, you know, uh, arguably creating mythology out of astronomy or, um, you know, a lot of I know a lot of ancient religions have stories of, you know, the founders or like a sort of Promethean thing of encountering greater beings who teach them language and, and civilization. Um, yeah. Well, in, in this, you know, occult, occult history and, and present that we're kind of like uh, dancing around in this episode, we become those gods, right? Because we are, you know, hypothetically are meant to go to another planet and become that Promethean founder of that place. Yeah, I wonder. I, I mean, I I don't know. I, like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of confused about where I feel, or you know, where I land on the no pun intended, where I land on the whole other planet landing thing. Like, I don't know if it's a. I don't think it's humanity's destiny. I don't even think it's particularly likely that we'll ever colonize another planet in any useful way. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we did, but I don't, 
I'm not like betting on it. I just, and uh, I, like, it feels like we fucked this planet up so much that we're going to go like, just the whole idea of colonizing it too. Obviously I'm, it's more complicated than like, you know, oh, like, oh, it's a colonizer mindset. It's because it's like the whole survival of the human race. But because right. I was I was listening to the, there was an interview with Peter Gray of uh, Scarlet Imprint talking about his book, which is about Hubbard and Parsons. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Is that, that just kind of came out too, right? The two yeah, antichrists? Pretty recently. Yeah. And he, he's sort of advocating for this like, in, like the necessity of an interplanetary society and it kind of falls very flat for me at least like i don't understand it like he's coming from this like sort of magical position um and especially from that position i don't understand it at all like i just i mean uh, th- th- like this kind of like theorizing gets very topsy-turvy or wobbly like very fast i think yeah yeah you can very easily you know see yourself on one end of the spectrum and then, you know, fall back uh, down, totally. down the yeah. teeter-totter to the other end, uh, which yeah, is... Yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah, no, but that's that's a really crazy part about, you know, this kind of speculation. Um, and, it, and it, like, science, obviously, like, our science kind of plays back in. And, you know, if, if you are to believe our science, then there is a, a, a clock on our planet indefinitely at some point right i mean like it's a it's a finite habitat sure i mean we're a finite species i don't think anyone can argue like i think it's probably more likely that humanity will either evolve into something else or go extinct before the planet you know faces any kind of actual physical cataclysm um yeah but you know who's to say it's all like probabilities i guess not that I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, these are such interesting questions because like, I mean, and it's just funny that talking about someone like Jack Parsons, like brings up these like dorm room, like philosophical stoner questions of like, because he's kind of like at the root of like the really weird events of the 20th century and like sort of like the nature of our uh, shared reality um he, he without a doubt got us to the moon like he's responsible for that not yeah. without a doubt i mean you know well, if, I have if, we, if we got there i mean that's that's a yeah, doubt. Yeah. i mean and that's right. that's a fun part of this conversation too is entertaining yeah. the the huge net that he casts and and crowley casts into the ufological world of yeah. you know thousands thousands of books you know written of people just speculating um the the as kenneth grant puts it the tangential tantrum or the effects of magical ritual and working um of you know letting in other entities into our dimension or you know other people writing about have we already been to mars like richard hoagland and stuff and and the the face on mars and you know, that's yeah. an, an ancient civilization and such a simpler time when people are worried about like the face on Mars. It feels so quaint. Um, I, yeah, I love that stuff. I mean, it's it's just such a huge, yeah. huge net cast by this. Uh, it's it's so fascinating to me because, yeah, um, there's 
a real history of it, which in itself, if you were to just tell everything that is known to be true about Jack Parsons, it's already one of the most interesting biographies in the last hundred years, right? Oh, yeah. And He's like, yeah. there's two biographies about him, and both of them are like essential to read, which is not often the case for a fringe figure. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. And, and then like everything else that's um, lore, you know, concerning this stuff, it, it goes like you know, hundreds of hundreds of miles further out from his actual biography. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Like, and, and the way that meta narratives cascade on the, on his biography and his story and the events of his life is, is just insane. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. He's, yeah, he's very strange. And yeah. And going back to this Nick Redfern book, um, the way, because yeah, I feel like the sort of like quick, not cliche, but the sort of common like connection between the Babylon working or just like a, you know, magical workings and the rise of UFOs, um, which hasn't always been a cliche, but somehow I feel like now it like has crossed the threshold into being sort of like a, a cliche of some kind, um, which doesn't mean it's not true, but uh, Redfern kind of gets into more like of the implications of what it would mean if, so if these things come from a different dimension and they're like malevolent or something, what's the distinction between that and like a demon? Like why, you know, um, like what's another dimension? Like, what does that mean? Like, right. it's important. I think it's interesting to think about because if you look at it from a purely scientific angle, it's like, it almost feels like two different languages talking about the same thing. Um, and further down the road, when you start getting like all these abduction reports and as for a little while, things get stranger and more like horrifying. Like when people like Bud Hopkins and uh, people like that are kind of extracting these like horror stories out of people of like torture and like strange birth stuff and like all of this like really gnarly stuff. It's like, it does start to, to feel like angels and demons a bit more. And, and I mean like, their own language like the it was the babylon working and the antichrist working so they already are tethered to a judeo-christian framework of thinking so it draws this sort of evangelical uh fire and brimstone stuff right back into it um sure of course there's like the other sort of angle of you know these magical workings birthing a sort of hyper object in the UFO itself as like a totem, you know, to draw from the classic uh, writings of Carl Jung on the subject um, as a, as an object of the new technological religion. Right. So if it exists or not, it sort of appears um, as like a, a fictional or metafictional like hyperstition, right? To quote the this right. famous like new term out of the whole Nickland sphere. Um, but yeah, it, it manifests as this religious object in itself of our new. Or, yeah. Like a harbinger of the space age type right. thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say because, and of course the ever present sort of hoaxing aspect comes into it where like these, who knows if these people are like just, you know, people like Adamski or people like 
any of the like classic ufologists like Gray Barker and stuff, like any of these people who are probably at least half the time like making stuff up for the sake of what? Like, is that like a magical working in itself? And yeah. this of course has been like our theme for like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. almost two years now. But I think it's important to take that into consideration as well, like how that plays into you know, a situation in which magic may have somehow influenced the appearance of these things that everyone's calling like aliens. It's like all these weird inputs into this like stew. It's yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wild to think about how much of our world is, is symbols. Right. And like how we interpret the world is, is kind of all through a, shadowy labyrinth of symbols um and how these intentional magical workings can can manifest these symbols into the world or, or at least reify them um i think yeah well, it, like to get back to the babylon working itself a little bit i feel like the lore of that is is itself just a system of symbols like elron hubbard as a symbol is this like when you say L. Ron Hubbard, you think first Scientology. So this like sort of massive faux religion that everyone sort of thinks of as like a sort of self-help money laundering scheme. And then you have Jack Parsons, who is this sort of like tragic figure slash caricature, mad scientist, you know, occultist genius. And they go out into the desert, which is like symbolically rich as well. And there's like sort of like the air of like sexuality about it, both with like their, they both sort of shared the same like partner at, at different times. And like, so, and like, you know, the, the sex magic that they did during the working. Um, so like, it's all these like sort of like elements that add up to this like uh, really strange sort of, scene of, of this you know that's why it's so like people get so obsessed with this you know the babylon working which is really kind of it's almost like a um shorthand for like a larger um way of thinking about magic it's like when you say the babylon working you're not necessarily talking about that actual magical act but you're talking about like where new religions and ufos and like you know cutting edge science and like, like all these things meet in this like sort of weird zone right um, yeah no i think that's a really apt way of of putting that um you're not just talking about the actions performed in the mojave desert right it, it does like encapsulate kind of all of it um and i would argue too that you know I know that we've kind of spent like the length of this entire podcast talking so much about hoaxing and how hoaxing is in itself um, a magical ritual. I think one of the first things that I had written down in California visiting so many of these ufological and, and occult sites out there um, that the hoax is the sigil, you know, that the hoax yeah. is sort of like a magical working by you know, scrying this fiction onto right. the world by constructing these fictional narratives you have in effect, like 
created a mar magical working where you are creating a, a social paradigm shift, you know, like creating a new lore, a new religion, which defines how people live their lives. Like it's, it's insane. Right. It's, and it's interesting as well. Um, there are just like, there just happen to be like these years in history that like are these kind of, I guess, you know, turning point or they're these kind of like lever years that like, you know, a few different paths are available to history. And it seems like, you know, 46, 47 was one of those. And you have this like, it's like the perfect time to do magic. And maybe it's the time that like, if you do magic during one of, you happen to do magic during one of these times, it's like, you know, that, that much more like effective of a working and like, maybe that why, that's why this one is so like, uh, sticky. It like you know, it's, it's so like at the forefront of like, you know, of, of this, you know, of the few people that like would be able to come up with like name a magical working, like most of them can probably think of this one and like maybe some of the earlier Crowleyan ones, but yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we didn't even talk about the Amalantra working, um, were in New York, I believe in 1914, uh, Crowley channels, the entity lamb, who is kind of yeah. the, the real, like first depiction we have of a gray, a gray alien um, that goes to define so much of the ufological narrative. Yeah. It's, it's crazy that like, so if 47 was definitely one and if the lamb slash earlier book of the law channeling years were also world, uh, it, it makes you think about, world war two, right? Right. Yeah. It, it makes you wonder like what is like, more recent like i imagine that there are certain magical workings in the 1960s that were particularly you know effective during that time of great change and i, I imagine i mean it depends how paranoid you want to get about 9-11 but 9-11 itself is sort of a 2001 being another sort of lever year mm, that sort of right was you know things were more open to change i guess and partly because of that act itself but also that was i mean you know there's been masterfully written paranoid books about 9-11 as ritual um yeah right and i, but, I don't think yeah. you have to stop there i think the, i think yeah. 2016 it's another one as well with like the 4chan magic that sort of elected donald trump meme magic yeah right right even though like it's kind of kitschier than like the, the craziness that jack parsons got up to and it's not as genocidal as as what happened in 2001 it's like yeah i mean i th i think what you're hinting at is like what is the 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 totem ritual that we can turn to of of years now and i would argue or not right. argue or at least point out that like there's tons that's happening all the time that there's like yeah do you think I, it's like ramping up yeah i think that it like i think that it's happening on a massive scale and not not to say that like there's a group, a cabal performing this on a massive scale. I, I'll entertain that certainly, but I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying it right now. What I'm saying right now is that, um, I think that, you know, as a society, our connection to the internet, not to go down this rabbit hole too much, but we're all performing magical rituals unknowingly. A lot of the time, uh, the group think the hive mind, the way that we connect now that, yeah. you know, 
they're happening uh, more casually um, and we're constantly uh, changing and socially engineering ourselves through the internet, um, which is a labyrinth of, of ma magical language in itself, right? This is something we've talked about on, in past interviews. Um, yeah. That the, the internet is based on a, a coded language um, and, and channeling, right? Acts performing yeah. through language, uh, you know, manifesting information uh, and imagery, content, videos through coded language. I mean, is yeah. that is that not magic? I mean, right. Yeah, I think we talked about that with uh, in that interview with uh, Alex about right about AI and stuff. Yeah, it's the internet itself is a pretty complex magical tool in the same way that a a book is a magical tool. Yeah, because it's made of language. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. We're about at the hour mark. I think we can hop out of the main cast here, jump over to the Patreon. Um, yeah. I'm really excited to talk about some experiences at uh, George Van Tassel's Integratron and the, yeah. one of the most famous uh, contact sites of Giant Rock in Joshua Tree, um, a bunch of other stuff. And I think we're going to try and splice in a special guest interview to talk a little bit about Jack Parsons as well. So I'm, I'm not sh exactly yeah. sure how I'm going to edit that, but you'll probably be hearing it before you hear this part. So, um, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate that. Um, if you can like and subscribe, I'm not sure what it does, but I think it helps us. Um, more importantly, if you're interested in this show, join up on the Patreon because we're always uh, doing extended discussions and episodes over there. Um, and we have a, a great little community building at that spot. Yeah. So patreon.com slash consensus on reality. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next time.